Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. We are recording from sunny South Florida today, and I'm thrilled to be spending time with family over the weekend. Whether you are a longtime listener or you're tuning in for the very first time, thank you for joining me on this podcasting adventure. I've loved being a part of your morning commute or wherever you're listening from, and I can't wait to see what the future brings with our show. This episode is brought to you by the Reclaim the Rebel Academy. For those who tuned into episode 73 of this show, Lizzie Cangro is a nutritionist who helps clients transform their nutrition, movement, and mindset through radical acts of self-love. Lizzie has launched the Reclaim the Rebel Academy, an eight-week program that will teach you how to ditch the diet industry and silence your inner mean girl, help you improve your body image, teach you to listen to your body, and so much more. This program is going to start on March 31st, and it's limited to the first 20 students. So if you're interested in joining and learning more, you can tap my link in the show notes. Switching gears, this week we are chatting with Heather Wickman, the co-founder of Untethered, Awake the Soul, and author of The Evolved Executive. Fantastic read, by the way. <laughs> Heather and I talk about the power of sacred plant medicine and equine coaching to help us transform our mindsets and navigate through change. We also talk about how to practice love in action in our work lives, ways to deepen our self-awareness and improve our self-worth, how to embrace change in ourselves and the world around us, and ways to practice radical candor without gravitating toward hostility. This is such a powerful conversation, and I had never thought about plant medicine as a way to expand in our careers, but I loved chatting with Heather, and I know you're going to learn a lot from this one. So enough from me. Let's hear from Heather Wickman. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you. You have a fantastic book, and I've loved seeing what your company is doing. But before we dive into today's conversation, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us about you. Yeah. So my name is Heather Wickman. I've got a company called Be Untethered. And let's see, it's always a tough question. (laughs) Tell me about yourself. What I would say is, um, you know, I am one of the the world's best accidental entrepreneurs, if that makes any sense. If you knew me 10 years ago, you really would have never guessed what I'm up to today. And so a little background is I'm a Minnesota kid, so born and raised and kind of have had the typical Minnesota vibe. So was primarily risk adverse, um, loved to follow all the rules, was that traditional safety seeker and was, you know, a nice kid and didn't really want to rock the boat. And that's been a huge part of um, who I have been. I also have had a really traditional mindset around what success looks like. So I went to graduated high school, went to a big school, the University of Minnesota, and got my undergrad, got a job, bought a car, and I was on track to, you know, what success or what I thought success would look like. And, you know, started climbing the corporate ladder and I was like, all right, what next? So might as well get my master's degree, right? So that just seems like the thing to do. So got the second degree, then I got married, got the house, everything was looking like I'm on this path. This is what I'm here to do. And, uh, After my master's degree, I was continuing to climb the corporate ladder and actually having a lot of fun. And from the outside in, it looked 
like a wild success. I was, you know, my parents were excited for me, my family, my friends were like, rock on, you're doing a great job. You know, and then I'm like, okay, so what's next? You can see I have this constant achieving kind of mentality. I was like, well, you know, what would really set me apart? Maybe, maybe I should get my PhD. Like that's the thing that's going to really help me catapult into this corporate world. And so <laughs> that's what I did. So I went on and got my PhD and graduated with that by the time I was 32. And this is when it all kind of got a little crazy. And so like I've shared, I was on this path of success, what I thought success would look like. And it was all about climbing the corporate ladder you know, getting as much academic experience and corporate experience as possible until it wasn't, right? So something started to crack within inside of me. And I call this a bit of my corporate crack. I was doing everything that I thought I should do to be successful. And yet there was this, this growing feeling within, of, within me that was making me feel more and more miserable, frankly, more depressed, more anxious, less motivated, less creative, and I just couldn't make sense of it. And so in this like last ditch effort, I took a job with our corporate organization out in Oakland with a dear colleague. And I was like, this is going to help me get out of this funk. I'm going to, you know, change cities. I've got a great new job. I'm working with people that I really love. And I lasted a year and a half before I absolutely cracked. And so what happened was I was telecommuting, was was working this job and was then offered what I thought would be like my dream corporate job. And, you know, there was a part of me that was so excited. My friends were excited because I knew I'd been striving for this. And inside me, I just felt like this complete soul sucking feeling like, Heather, there's no way you can take this job. Like you're going to destroy yourself. But again, that mind and that idea of success just over overrode that. And so long story short, I ended up resigning from that corporate job. My husband was moving out to Oakland to join me. And I called him up one day and I'm like, babe, I have to resign today. And shockingly, he was he's like, okay, we're, well, what are we going to do? And he ended up resigning from his job. We sold pretty much everything we had in Colorado and traveled the world for about three months. And that's how Untethered was formed. So that's a little bit where I'm at today. Untethered's been up and running for six years and the path continues to evolve in more ways that I really never expected. And it's kind of like, who would have thought this kind of mild Minnesota kid would go from corporate exec to a pretty traditional executive coach now to this guide who supports clients on accelerated growth experiences with all types of modalities, including, you know, horses, equine coaching, as well as sacred plant medicine. So it's definitely a, a little bit against the grain these days, but I absolutely love it. That is such a fantastic journey and how cool it is that you were able to pivot into something that, that you love and that you're helping people every single day. I can definitely relate to that, you know, that corporate ladder, that striving for what is very traditionally considered success. And sometimes it can feel so empty because, you know, I think it's so great to be striving toward different goals and, you know, setting those goals and reaching them and working hard for them. But sometimes I feel like we're just setting those goals or, you know, working toward that thing because it sounds good right. and because it's the next thing. <laughs> yeah. So I love that you were able to recognize that this was not going to be the right thing for you and kind of take it in a different direction. Um, tell me about Untethered because these experiences just sound absolutely amazing. And I'd love to know what exactly inspired that and what that experience has been like so far. 
Yeah, so Untethered's been born really out of our own experience. So we have been, we is my husband and I, he is my business partner as well as husband, been on this journey for the last, I guess, 10 years to find the most effective and efficient pathways to growth. And so we've been in corporate America and we've all been through those offsites that, you know, we're going to change the way we do things. We're going to change the way our team performs. And, you know, a week later, you're back doing the same thing that you've done previously. And so those things don't work. And so we've been on this path of like, how do we grow ourselves most like effectively and quickly as possible? And so we have found different modalities that we've played with and have now fine-tuned for our clients to really help them move through accelerated growth. And so Untethered really works with you know, high-achieving business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to overcome some of the most persistent and stubborn roadblocks that get in the way of them having the career and the life that they most want. And we take really, they're, I guess, unusual approaches. They're not your typical approach you're going to see most coaches take. And so we really believe in the idea of peak experiences as a way to help people move quickly through the change they want to see. And so we couple coaching along with these peak experiences. And it could be anything from, like I've said, working with horses to working deeply with sacred plant medicine to breath work, to meditation, to writing. All these different things can have a peak experience. What I would say is an experience that allows you to experience yourself and your life differently in a very short period of time. And so now we've got kind of this growth formula where we understand how to move people through this pretty quickly and allow them to actually have sustained change in a short amount of time. I think that's so cool. And, you know, before we started recording, we were kind of talking about how a lot of times traditional corporate America, we don't think of a lot of these wellness modalities as something that can really serve us professionally. And it almost seems like, you know, you can have either or. And I I really don't think that that's the case. And so I love that you're applying a lot of these. I found that For me personally, meditation and journaling have been incredibly helpful for my personal healing journey. Mm -hmm. But with that, I perform better at work and I'm a lot clearer headed and all of that. And so I think that trying these other experiences as well is such a great opportunity for professionals who may have never tried them in the past, because I think we we really do think of the very concrete, almost the masculine, the right. goal setting and mm-hmm. the to-do lists, but to be changing the way that we're thinking and the way that we're approaching things is just, it's almost radical in a way. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, when we can get outside of our normal way of doing things, people are enjoying themselves so much more than, you know, we're going to go offsite and we're going to do this team building event. Like, well, let's go offsite and be in the space where we're holding each other as we go through profound change. It's really a moving experience. I think that's so cool. And I'm I'm giggling a little bit picturing, um, you know, these high power executives maybe going through the sacred plant medicine, something that we don't <laughs> think of the two together in our heads. How exactly, what is that experience like for them? And can you walk us through, we really have not talked much about plant medicine on the podcast. So a little bit about what you all do and what that experience is like and what kind of change is expected from something like that. Yeah. So let me just chat a little bit about what I mean by sacred plant medicine and it's really these these plants that have been used for millennia to help people grow and change. And so we use them in a very sacred way. So they could be anything like psilocybin. It could be ayahuasca. It could be wachuma, different 
plants that come from different regions of the world. We work with people who are trained to use these plants and trained to serve these plants. So it's not like Heather is all of a sudden a shaman. I'm not, but we know yeah. people who are. And so it's it's a very sacred experience that we take people through. And part of our growth formula is this idea of a pre-experience, a peak experience, and a post-experience. So if a client comes to us, like you said, a high-powered executive, a CEO who's like, I really need to break through X, Y, or Z. You know, maybe they are struggling to find balance in their life or they're struggling to find a deeper purpose and meaning, whatever it might be. We use this pre-experience to really help that individual get clear on the intention so that they are clear on the one big thing that I want to achieve by going through this process, going through this experience. And on the other side of this change, so three months out, this is what it's going to look like or feel like in my best case scenario. And so a lot of other folks who work with plant medicine forget this pre and forget the post. And it's all about the peak experience, where for us, the peak experience is maybe the, the smallest element of it. So we set people up with the intention, helping them understand what's getting in their way. And then they go through the peak experience. So we partner with different groups that run different medicines. And so it might be a five-day retreat down in Mexico where they're working with ayahuasca. And they'll do two to three ceremonies. And those ceremonies can be quite intense, both in terms of the insights, as well as they can be physically intense as well. The thing about sacred plant medicine is it kind of shuts down your default mode network in your brain. So this part of your brain that is that rumination, that kind of monkey mind, that chatter, and allows you to relax and be able to see different insights that are kind of latent within your mind and your being. So that's the plant medicine experience. And then we do a post experience where it's all about integration. So what is it you just experienced? What is it that is surprising to you, shocking to you, insightful to you? And then what are we going to do differently because of it? And so that's really when the coaching comes into place where we help them get a bit of a plan in place to do some experiments and do things differently so that we can begin wiring their patterns of behavior differently. And so that's kind of in a nutshell what that experience kind of looks like and what an executive might be moving through. First of all, I totally want to do this um, as, I'm, <laughs> as I'm hearing about all of that. But I think that it's so amazing that you are looking at it pre and post experience because I do think you can get really great insights from the experience itself. But if you're not, you know, kind of carrying them with you, I think this is such a great resource for someone who maybe does want to tap into the, you know, not necessarily masculine and feminine, but does want to create a plan and that yes, you have this amazing experience, but now also you can approach things in a different way and you can get past that one big thing. I um, had spoken with a friend not too long ago that had even tried microdosing mm -hmm. and had found that his dreams were different. And, you know, weeks later, the anxiety levels that had been there were just not there right. and how much it rewired him at such a low dosage. And so going through it um, really guided and then having that coaching to kind of walk you through, well, what do I need to put into practice now? I think and that is incredibly powerful. Right. And I think it's it's almost like leadership malpractice when we don't do the post work because you leave individuals with these, this really wide open, rich experience that likely shakes up their whole worldview. And then, you know, they say, good luck, <laughs> you know, yeah. best of luck in, you know, implementing whatever you want to do. But 
what we don't realize is that once you've had those experiences, so few people know how to relate to you because they haven't had the same experience. And so being able to walk alongside those folks is really such a gift for us as well, because it gives them the confidence to show up differently and really take new and different bold behaviors to to reach the goal that they ultimately wanted to achieve. I think that's amazing. And I'd love to know too, because I am such an animal lover and I've been fascinated by the idea of equine therapy. I'd love to know how horses play into the practice and how exactly that can help someone pushing past that, you know, that one big thing that they're maybe struggling with or how that helps our leadership or our team dynamics. Yeah. So quick question. Have you been around horses? Not a lot, okay. although I was not too long ago at the World Equestrian Center, and oh. what a what a cool experience. Yeah. So I grew up with horses and um, loved interacting with them, but probably didn't know what was happening at that age as what I do today. And so horses really become, in the way in which we work with them, really become our, our teachers. And so it's, it's sometimes a bit of a mental shift when folks come, they think, oh, I'm going to go ride. Well, mm-hmm. not actually. You're going to work with this horse on the ground one-on-one, and the horse is actually going to be leading the curriculum or the teaching. And it's a fascinating process. The thing that I could share is I think horses are likely the world's best mirrors and congruency detectors. And so let me explain that maybe a little bit. I always say to clients, like, you can lie to me and I might not know it, but you can't actually lie to a horse. Horses are prey animals and therefore operate so much differently in the world as we do as, frankly, predators. And so they are constantly assessing for congruency in the world around them. They'll quickly show us when we are being incongruent, whether we know it or not. And so oftentimes when we use horses, it's around maybe different elements or different goals. And so maybe you're coming to me and, and, and wanting to find how to reside in your power as a new leader or an executive or an entrepreneur. And let's say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with you and I'm going to put you in the arena with a horse. And your goal is to reside in your power and to see what shows up. And this horse is going to continually mirror and magnify kind of your beliefs, whether you know them or not. And so I could have you do a few ground exercises or maybe ask you to move the horse over a few obstacles or move the horse by using your energy. And the horse will show me and will show you as well whether or not you are actually in your power. So will the horse move for you? Will the horse do nothing? Will the horse be afraid of you? And all of the emotions that the horse is showing you is actually a mirror of what is happening on the inside of you. And so they become this incredible biofeedback teacher, this real-time biofeedback teacher, to help you become more self-aware in the moment of where am I lying to myself? Where are the beliefs that are limiting my progress forward? And how do I need to show up differently to get a different result? So you actually then get to play with the horse real time by shifting your behaviors and your beliefs to see if you can shift the horse. And it becomes just this incredible experience of like real time practice in a very safe and not ju- non-judgmental place because your team's not there to be the one that's giving you feedback. It's the horse and the horse you know, doesn't know anything different other than to mirror back what it senses. And so it's just an incredible experience for people to move through and have huge gains in, in again, a very short and accelerated period of time. That is honestly so cool. Just 
I, I truly believe animals in general are way more intuitive about all of that than we are as humans exactly. oftentimes. Um, if my dog doesn't like you, you're probably a bad person. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's true. <laughs> you know, and, and I have heard that with horses, that they really mirror what, you know, the energies that we are putting out there. And I haven't been around them too often, but when I was at the World Equestrian Center, we were told that um, it was for a leadership program and we were touring the facility a little bit and there was a show going on. And we were told that if the owners were okay with it, we could pet them. We couldn't just approach any horse. And there was such a difference in how the horses reacted to some of, mm-hmm. you know, to some of my classmates. And one of my classmates um, actually spooked the horse a little bit with, you know, not that much movement or anything like that, that I truly believe it was something energetic right. because there wasn't any major movement or anything like that. Right. But I do find that so fascinating. And so, so what are some of the skills and um, qualities that people are looking to, to build upon when they're working with the horses? You know, the things that pop up the most tend to be around emotional intelligence. And so because horses have this ability to detect congruency on an emotional and energetic level, folks tend to come in when, again, like finding your power is is one of those emotional kind of things because we limit ourselves based on how we're showing up and how do we shift our emotions and shift our presence to be able to show up a little bit differently. But also things around imposter syndrome is a big piece that we work with the horses to help an individual come to terms with being confident in who they are. And again, the horse is going to mirror that, whether they're, when you are congruent and feeling good about your authentic self, the horse will come near you and feel safe around you. When you're trying to fake it to make it, that is not a safe environment for the horse. And the horse is going to show that by moving to the edge of the arena or a different place than you. And so I find that it's usually around more of those emotional agility elements, those how do I find my authentic self elements. And then there are some individuals that really kind of dive into, I want to find a deeper purpose. And the horse can actually, in in a very meditative space, help you kind of reach those different brainwaves that allow you to have some pretty profound insights. That is honestly so fascinating. And now I think I need to work with the horses too because, (laughs) exactly, (laughs) you know, definitely finding that power. And I think everybody could use more emotional intelligence no matter where you are in that skill set. Yeah. Yeah. And that imposter syndrome is something that I always thought I was, you know, this is probably a quality of the imposter syndrome. I always thought I was the only one. And the older I get and the farther into my career I get, the more. I'm finding that at least half, if not probably way more, are experiencing that. And, you know, no matter how much you accomplish, you can still still might bring that energy to things. Mm -hmm. And maybe the other humans might not pick up on it, but they know that something is up. Exactly. So I find that really fascinating. And I, I just love working toward that authentic self with the horse and kind of working toward that deeper purpose. You have a book as well, and you talk a lot about love and action and really approaching everything from a place of love rather than that place of fear, which I think many of us have also experienced in our in our careers, hopefully not currently for, <laughs> for many, but definitely something I think every single person listening to this can relate to that at some point in their lives. And I'd love to know a little bit more about that love and action and what exactly that means. Yeah. So the book is called The Evolved Executive and the Future of Work is Love and Action. And what I, I've been keyed into this topic pretty much my entire career. I tried to do it as my doctoral dissertation and my chair was like, you can't talk about love at work. It's just 
a total taboo. You can't do it. So I ended up doing something else for my <laughs> doctoral work and came back to this afterwards and obviously wrote the book about it. And so I have this deep belief that when we can create environments that are operating from an orientation of love versus an orientation of fear, we have not only better outcomes from a business perspective, but we have a healthy human system where people feel like they're cared for, they're valued, they belong, they feel like they connect to something bigger and better than what they are. And my belief is that leaders have a disproportionate impact in creating this environment of love. And kind of what you alluded to is I think we are programmed in a way to operate from fear, especially in corporate America, where it shows up as competition, or it shows up as really hoarding information or secrecy or whatever it might be. Those are all kind of fear-driven behaviors. And when a leader can create a culture that is instead based on the genuine care for one another and belief that together we can do more than what we can do individually, they begin to shift that orientation to love. And as I've been working with this concept, it became clear that there's really four elements for me that begin to really describe what it looks like when we work from love in action. And those four C's are care, candor, connection, and change. And so very briefly, care is really all about the environment that you create. Can you create an environment where people feel cared for? where they feel safe to show up and be their most authentic self. The second one is candor. And this is a, a lot of Kimberly Scott's work on radical candor is, can you care personally, but also challenge directly? And candor is something that I find leaders struggle with because individuals can get very cutting in the place of being, mm -hmm. giving feedback in, in being candid and Candor from this perspective is, is exactly that. Can you care enough personally about that individual that you can give them feedback directly that has their best interest in mind with not being hostile and not being attacking and all of those things. And so there's a really important skill set in that candor element. And then connection is very related to all of these, but it's really about trust. Can you create an environment where people trust you? And where the team trusts each other and no one's kind of working over each other's backs or again, stabbing someone in the back, throwing people under the bus so that they can kind of look better in the eyes of others. And at the end of the day, they can feel like we are connected. We are doing something here together. And lastly, change is kind of at the heart of it. Change is all about, can you embrace the uncertainty and the ambiguity and navigate through change by honoring yourselves and others? And this really primarily starts with, do you know how to change yourself? And so when I speak about change and love in action, it's really not all about kumbaya and you know butterflies and rainbows. It's really about when we shift to an orientation of love can be some of the most challenging work we do because we're often programmed to operate from this place of fear. And now when we sit in a place of love, we have to really look at some of those beliefs and assumptions and sit in our own shadows of why we show up the way we do and make a decision to do things differently. So that's kind of a, a snapshot of the four C's. And obviously the book has way more details. I absolutely love that. And it really made me think a lot about my own experience in corporate America and being in my company. I, you know, as a millennial, it's almost unheard of, I feel like now, but I'm coming up on um, in May, it'll be nine years in my organization under the same boss mm -hmm. and in the same department. 
And we have, I, I was the first employee on the team, but as far as our newer team members have gone, we've had very minimal turnover. We had one person who was on the team for about five years just leave for a promotion on another team, and it was the right opportunity at the right time. But for the most part, there's been, you know, at a time where there's a lot of turnover and a lot of organizations and great resignation and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it really got me thinking, you know, you write about the theory X and theory Y in your book that with theory X, people are unmotivated and they need, you know, they need to be pushed on and um, they need to be kind of under a microscope. And I think about my own boss and how she kind of embodies all four of these C's and especially that theory Y that the team is motivated, try to do it in the way that, you know, you are the expert Mm -hmm. in, you know, in your particular area. So you take a stab at it. Here's my guidance and that autonomy. I've I've found that I am so much happier working in an environment where I'm trusted to do my job to the best of my ability and to know that my boss and I, and I see on other teams and other organizations that this is not always the case, but to have a boss that believes that, hey, my employees, the majority of the time are doing the best they can and trying to, to make positive change. Exactly. Yeah. So I really loved that with the four C's, just that focus on more of the positive. And, you know, you're right that, you know, you don't hear about love as often in the workplace, (laughs) but creating that environment. Candor is one too that I think about a lot. I mean, it's definitely a skill set because it can be so difficult to to be honest with people and to provide that constructive criticism at times. But at the same time, you also have people that get very excited about the idea of radical candor and don't always define it correctly, where it's more of a, let's be honest about everything all at once to the point that's not productive and maybe not even honest anymore. How do we kind of walk that line a little bit? That is a that is a tough one in terms of if an individual is is not self-aware to see that they're wanting to give this feedback based on something that they're trying to achieve, whether it's they want to feel better about themselves or they want to make a point or whatever it might be. And so those individuals that tend to gravitate towards the hostile element of giving feedback or being candor, um, oftentimes it's a real struggle to get them to see it differently. And I've seen it, you know, successfully when a boss has to have a sit down conversation and say, you know, these are the guardrails around how we give feedback. And I need you to look at X, Y, Z a little bit differently, but it can be really hard in peer relationships where someone, you know, just unloaded on you based on what they perceive went well or didn't go well. And you actually see that, well, likely they're just projecting their own stuff all over me. So what do you do there? I mean, if the individual that you're working with um, has the ability to hear feedback from you differently, like, hey, your feedback hit me in this way and it made me feel like this. Is there a way that we can better understand what just happened? You know, that's the avenue that would be the best case scenario. But more often than not, it's it's kind of a, an uphill battle working with some of these individuals when there's not that self-awareness to say, hey, maybe I'm projecting here and maybe I overstepped my bounds. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that you mentioned that self-awareness because I think that's something that no matter how much reflection we do, everybody can learn more about themselves and how they're perceived and all of that. And I, I see such a, a mix where there are some people who are just completely, maybe blissfully unaware of how they're perceived and what they might be saying. But at the same time, 
there are also people who, like myself, I don't know sometimes if it's self-awareness or if it's a little bit of self-criticism, like if it's actually um, maybe a weakness or if it's something where I'm being a little bit hard on myself. And I think a lot of, I think especially women fall into this. How do we deepen our self-awareness, you know, in a constructive way? Yeah, man, that feels, that is probably one of those life works kind of (laughs) elements. How do we continue to deepen our self-awareness? In the book, and I think I have it in a couple of my blogs, I have several different activities. And so they're they're journaling activities to help us be more self-reflective, to gain self-awareness. But I also think of life as medicine. And it relates to those situations that trigger you. And the things that trigger you tend to be your greatest teachers for self-awareness. And so I don't know if this is probably not a, a feminine thing specifically, but for us, I think we have the opportunity to reflect on our day. Like, okay, what rattled me? What got on my nerves? What drove me nuts? And then to take a good look inside and say, okay, that's evidently showing me something about me that is unresolved right now. And just taking some time with that in a very kind and compassionate way and writing about it, reflecting about it, taking a walk in nature and being like, okay, what what is real here? Why am I getting triggered about this is one of the best ways I've found to continue to up-level my self-awareness skills is using my triggers as teachers. I really love that. I'm becoming a journaler. This has been, I think, one of my newest self-care practices in the pandemic. And I found that to be so helpful for even just uncovering what I want in the world and how I'm feeling even about sometimes the next day and how I can kind of adjust a little mm-hmm. bit. And, I, you know, it's been so, so helpful. So I, I really love the idea of just taking the time because even you're so right about those triggers. And even when I find that I'm particularly annoyed with a person at work, a lot of times it says more about me and how (laughs) I, yeah, what are, what are my insecurities in the situation and how did they make me feel rather than anything that's really actually wrong with them. Yes. Very insightful. Kudos. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's taken me a long time to realize that. And sometimes I still want to say like, yeah, it says a lot about me, but they're still totally wrong. (laughs) But I still, you know, at the same time, I think, I think it's important to, for us to be recognizing that. And I think to be journaling some of that, it does, it does give us a little bit more of that knowledge. So in the book, and and this is also one of the four C's that change Mm -hmm. and change is, difficult for the majority of people that we're not really hardwired to to handle it sometimes in the most productive ways and we can act out or end up in these very very just very stressed out over it and I'd love to know when we're in an environment of change, whether we are the ones leading our organizations or our teams through those changes, or we're the ones, maybe we're leading ourselves through those changes, what can we do to better accept it and respond to it in a more productive and positive way? Yeah, man, this is, you've hit on such a a hugely important topic, not only in personal development, but in corporate leadership development. And I think the first question that I would have for you is, has anyone taught you how to change? If you think about your, your life and your career, has anyone sat you down and said, hey, this is how you do it? No. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't this crazy? Like I've been through way too much schooling and a lot of tough <laughs> life situations. <laughs> 
No one's teaching us how to change. And so this is what I think is the most important part. And for leaders and individuals is understanding how to actually move through change. And it begins with very briefly understanding how our brains work. And our brains are basically a prediction machine. So it uses prior information or experiences to form mental models or beliefs or assumptions about how the world works and what's good and what's bad. And our emotions also play a critical element in this. And so our our emotions are the way our brain communicates these predictions to us. And so if we get scared or anxious or worried when we're bumping up against a situation, that's our brain's prediction telling us, hey, hold off, this could go badly or put us in an unsafe place. So I think the first step is to recognize that our brain is not wired to help us move through change. And your brain is going to create resistance to change to keep you safe. And that one revelation has helped me kind of have some compassion for myself and others as we get kind of aggravated moving through change. Like that's a natural thing because our bodies and our brains and our emotions are trying to protect us from something that feels unsafe. Well, great. So then the question becomes, how do we move through change when these kind of beliefs and assumptions no longer fit? And I think that is the time when we have to take a really close look at our beliefs and our assumptions and our hidden commitments. And so as our brains are wired for consistency and stability, we can look at those times when we get aggravated and frustrated and resistance as a way to see into our belief system. And I could go on and on about this, but what I would say is I use a process with my clients called the immunity to change. And this does that exactly. It helps us kind of peel back the onions to say, this is a situation that I'm running up against and I can't tell what belief is getting in my way. And we also use peak experiences, which kind of rattle that prediction machine in our brains to give us some neuroplasticity or some room for our brains to perceive things differently. And so the realization that our brains are not wired for change. So we need to have some compassion and kindness for when we move through change and then giving ourselves some tools to to be able to actually um, understand how our beliefs can shift feels like two of the most important steps that we can take personally to be able to move through change more effectively individually, and especially as you're leaving a team. I absolutely love that. And I think it's so interesting thinking about just how our brains are wired and how that neuroplasticity is so important for that, because it's so funny. This morning, I was just teaching a presentation to um, one of our departments internally. We have a um, diversity, equity, and inclusion committee that goes around and does different presentations on biases and things like that. And I had watched a TED talk not too long ago and I shared, I think the IT team kind of appreciated the talk about, you know, algorithms and, you know, mental shortcuts a little Mm bit, really about how a lot of the biases even that we have toward other people and toward anything that is different from us really stems from the lion chasing us. And the problem is we treat people in the workplace that are different from us or a rebrand at work or a new software system or new management as a lion chasing us. Right. And it's just not really that. So I, I love the idea of really challenging that and just recognizing and accepting that, hey, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. And our brains, th- that we do have to consciously make that change, that it's not going to come naturally to us. Because I think that can be hard too, thinking that 
everyone else is handling this so well. And then here I am struggling (laughs) through the change. Exactly. And this becomes a place where a team can come together and grow together, which again, I think is the culmination of love and action. Can we be vulnerable? Can we move through places that feel really uncomfortable and hold each other and say, it's okay to to move through this and feel uncomfortable. We got each other's backs and we're going to learn and grow together. And that feels like such a a valuable place to be. And it sounds like potentially that you have that on your team. And so that's fantastic. Yeah, we've been, I think we've been very fortunate on my particular team, but I think at the same time, it's still so different from what we were taught, what Mm -hmm. maybe our parents even taught us that you are not supposed to show emotion in the workplace and that the vulnerability, um, it, it took a lot of listening to Brene Brown to kind of shift my mindset around that um, because it always was that when you shared how you were feeling, it was almost a weakness mm-hmm. and it, you know, you're showing too many of your cards. What are some things we can do if we're trying to become maybe more vulnerable in those situations? We're not quite there yet. Do you have any tips for kind of moving through that and showing that side of yourself and kind of dipping your toe in a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the the head there, the dipping your toe into it. I I have one caveat in terms of if you're playing with this concept within your team, I would say begin dipping your toe in with people you feel really safe around where you can be, hey, I'm going to try to be a little bit more vulnerable as in I'm going to try to express what I'm feeling or thinking or when I'm frustrated or when I feel unsafe. And I ask that you give me some feedback. So creating the container to actually practice safely would be the biggest thing that I would say. And so I often say, find a buddy at work where you can begin to practice this a little bit differently, where I I find that people get in trouble is where they're just like, okay, I'm in a team meeting. I'm going to try today, you know, Mm -hmm. and it just kind of goes south when the, the group cannot hold the space for you to begin to practice something differently. But then it's finding one thing that you want to try to be a little bit more open about. Is it, you know, I feel uncomfortable giving a public presentation because I feel like, you know, I don't do a good job or I don't have enough skill or I don't have X, Y, Z. Even that sharing that with a colleague or someone is being vulnerable. So finding a place where you can start and then beginning to sense like, how does this feel? How does it react? What can I do a little bit differently? So using it almost as your own little personal lab to see how, how it can work differently. I love that. I, I think that does make it a lot less intimidating as well, because I think we think vulnerability that you're just going to burst into tears in a meeting. And <laughs> yeah. Most of the time it's not, but truly being able to share maybe your discomfort or um, I think the negative emotions are just so difficult to mm-hmm. sometimes get out because we're told to be positive right. and you don't want it to appear that you were um, resistant, mm-hmm. like resistant to whatever change or anything like that, but you may have genuine concerns or, you, you know, maybe you have some limiting beliefs that you need to work through and working with somebody who's in the same right. situation. And mm-hmm. so I do think that's so important. Something else you touch on in the book, I had never really thought about this before, but you talk about self-esteem versus self-worth. Mm. 
I had never thought of those as two different things. And, you know, with that self-esteem really being kind of proving yourself Mm -hmm. and self-worth, really loving yourself and valuing yourself, how do we get there? And what what are some things we can do through this love in action to improve our self-worth? And how does that help us show up better for the people around us? Yeah, this is such a huge topic. And John Nyland's the expert in this space, and I've learned a ton from him. And so exactly to your point, it's it's about noticing when we're operating from a place of self-esteem. And again, that's always going to be what I operated from, frankly, for the large majority of my life is accomplishment. I am good. I am worthy. I'm valuable if I accomplish X, Y, or Z. And so that's always from a place of lack, like I'm not there yet, but if I can get there, then I'm going to be good where self-worth is really about this unconditional friendship and loyalty to yourself. And I think it ties into the conversation we just had about vulnerability. Like, can you stay loyal and loving to yourself, even when you might not be at your very best, even when you might be experiencing emotions that feel really uncomfortable or negative, or potentially you didn't do what you thought was your best? Can you stay in the place of, I'm still on my side. I'm going to continue to grow. I'm going to continue to improve. And I'm not going to take myself down this negative spiral of being a terrible person, less than whatever. And so for me, this is a constant practice because I was so wired for self-esteem that Mm -hmm. I only mattered. I was only valuable if I could do certain things where it's become a really beautiful eye-opening experience to be like, I'm valuable because of who I am. And can I stay in this place? And, you know, super honestly, I can't, I can't always stay in that place, but I can catch myself more frequently now when I get into the negative spiral around, I'm only valuable if I accomplish things. I can relate so much to that because even when I'm experiencing that imposter syndrome, I don't think about you, to, to kind of get myself out of it a little bit, I'm never thinking about, well, this is who I am as a human being. But instead, I'm usually thinking more along the lines of, no, I'm not an imposter because I've done this, 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 and this. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, having my list. Yeah. And, and I think there's a value in it for sure. I think that better to have self-esteem than, than neither. Right. Definitely to trust in our abilities. But I think that's often not enough. And to understand that, hey, I'm not going to operate at 100% or 150% or whatever we're expecting of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're just not going to do that all the time. Right. But you can still love who you are. And I, I love what you said about that unconditional friendship, because mm-hmm. I think we don't think of ourselves as our friends. Right. And that's the most important relationship that you have. Do you have any, other than catching yourself, do you have any practices or anything that we can do to start improving that self-worth if we're not there yet? You know, the the quick, easy one that I try to do as much as possible is whenever I say should, could, must, or need to, I tend to be operating from that place of self-esteem. And again, not saying self-esteem is bad, but it's this place of if I do this, I should do this, or I could do this, or I must do that, or I need to do this in order to X, Y, or Z. That's a really good catch for me to be like, oh, goodness. Okay, how can I reframe this? to valuing myself versus proving myself. And then it usually comes back to, well, 
if I take should out of it, do I really want to do that anymore? Does that value who I am? And does that value the contribution that I can bring to the table? And so the quick little hack that I would say is pay attention to your language. The shoulds, the coulds, the musts, the needs tend to be really great indicators of maybe a time that we can reframe. Mm, I think that makes a lot of sense. I am very much a should. <laughs> yeah. And- And I think it's so funny because the last um, several interviews have really gotten me thinking a little bit more about, I think, the importance of the words Mm -hmm. that are in our mind and like really the value of our words, that it's more than just the intention behind them. And that, you know, saying should or, you know, I must, I have to, I need to, that really does shift the way that we think. So, so I really think that is so important. And I I love that trick because I think that that's something that we can pretty quickly pick up on. I think once we're aware of it. So that's what I'm going to be thinking of myself because again, I'm one of those ones they'll say, you know, you need to stop shooting all over yourself. And (laughs) I very much, I find myself in that quite a bit. So I absolutely love that. And I just love everything that you're doing. I think that the experiences that you offer really allow people going through these programs to kind of change their mindset, change those neural pathways. And I think it's so cool for our audience to get to learn about those as well, because we we don't often think about equine coaching or sacred plant medicine in a professional setting. But the fact is those change our mindsets on so many other things. And so to be able to apply those in our professional lives, which take up at least a third of our lives, if not more, if not more. (laughs) So I really do love what you're doing. And I'd love to get into a little bit more about what you offer and a little bit more about your book and where listeners can find it. But before we do that, I'd love to ask you just a few of our rapid fire questions so the listeners can get to know you more as well. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Now, first up, what would you say is your top wellness tip? (laughs) I would say... My top wellness tip would be to breathe. <laughs> yes. It sounds so simple, but learning how to breathe it has been a transformational thing for me. Oh, 100%. That was something that they offered biofeedback when I was in college and finding out that I was breathing wrong. Yeah. Was, it's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is a great tip. Um, now, where is your favorite travel destination? Ah, that is a tough one. I love Costa Rica. The beaches there, the jungle there is just like so nourishing for me. So I would say if I had to pick one today, it would be Costa Rica. That's lovely. Definitely want to plan a trip there myself. Yes. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? (laughs) You're probably not going to be surprised, but I would absolutely (laughs) be a horse. To really understand life and existence and being from their perspective, I think they've got an understanding of presence, like be here now, that I have no ability to grasp. And that would just be such a fascinating thing to do. I think that would be so cool. I'm not personally very present myself. <laughs> Something, you know, that I'm definitely working on, but even just that understanding of the energies and the people around us, mm-hmm. I think that would be so amazing. Right. If you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? I would love to be a musician. And that's like really out there for me because I am not musically inclined, but to be able to play an instrument really, really well. Um, I think would be just a (laughs) 
such a fascinating experience. Oh, yeah. It's such a gift. Do you have a particular instrument in mind or just to have the skill set in general? Man, there's these new hand drums. I don't know if you've seen them. They're kind of almost like steel drums, but they've got like seven different tones on them. That would be an instrument. And those are really popular in, in kind of the spirituality and the sacred medicine circles. So that's kind of what I am most inclined to. And, and similarly, horses um, are vibrational creatures. And so they're super drawn to the drum as well. So that's probably what I would pick first. That is so cool. And I didn't know that about horses as well, yeah. but that does not surprise me. <laughs> I was going to say they pick up on our energy frequency. Yeah. So, so yeah. It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Um, and finally, what's next on your bucket list? Man, I've got a lot. I've got a long bucket list. The thing that feels most um, exciting or inspiring is, and it's way, I mean, it's an audacious goal, but it would be, we want to have our own ranch. And so our own herd and our own place for people to come join us to do these experiences. And so that is what we are manifesting here in, in 2022. That is absolutely amazing. And then you get to have the horses yes. around and all of that. That is such a great goal. <laughs> it's a big one. Well, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. I could talk to you all day. I think that yes. so much of this is just, it's so practical for our work lives, for our personal lives. I think kind of shifting our mindsets and kind of recognizing some of those patterns that we have. Before I let you go, tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your book and anything else you'd like them to know about Untethered. Perfect. So you can find me at beuntethered.co.co as well as on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm Heather Wickman, PhD out there. You can find the book on the website as well as Amazon. And the audiobook is coming soon. So if you are an audiobook listener, hang out for a couple months and that will be out there as well. Um, the other thing that I would say for the listeners here is I have a brand new assessment. So it's called the Growth Leader Assessment, and it gives you really a bird's eye view of your ability to move through change and would love to give that for free to your guests. And so can provide a link to you specifically or just let me know how to best get that to your audience. That would be absolutely amazing. And yes, if, if you want to, if we want to offline on a, on a link, I can share that in the show notes. I'll share that on my website. Perfect. And yeah, we'd love to get that out to the listener. So thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Oh, I'm, I'm excited personally to take that. I, um, I kind of have a feeling that I'm not going to score the best on the change side, but it's something I'm always working toward. And I find that that's an incredible resource, I think, for so many of us. So perfect. Truly, Heather. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and for sharing with us today. And I can't wait to take that assessment. Yeah. Well, thank you as well. I so appreciate your time and have a, such a fun time. Chatting with Heather was incredibly eye-opening, and it really made me rethink the way I show up for others at work and even in my personal life. I loved Heather's approach of leading from a place of love and genuine care and her emphasis on transforming ourselves from within through some of these practices. I have always personally been curious about sacred plant medicine, and I love the idea of integrating it into our professional development in this way. I also didn't know a ton about equine coaching prior to our conversation, but as an animal lover, I really think this would be such an incredible way to learn about ourselves and really up-level and grow in new ways. 
I have linked Heather's information in the show notes along with her book, The Evolved Executive, and the assessment that we talked about as well at the end of the show. So be sure to check it out. Let me know how you do on the assessment and we can compare notes a little bit. In addition, if you are interested in Heather's coaching opportunities, please check out the link in my show notes as well for a little bit more about how you can get involved and work directly with Heather. Now it's time for our Ask Me Anything segment. And this week's question is a continuation of last week's question. So what are your top five travel destinations that you haven't been to? Travel is definitely high on my list these days after two years cooped up in the state of Florida. So this is a really exciting question to think about. There are so many places in the world that I'm dying to go, but my number one would have to be Sedona, Arizona. I actually planned a trip for my parents out there a few years ago, and I still have the itinerary saved. So I feel such a calling to go, and I really want to visit their healing vortexes. I really just feel like I need to go. Another one that's high on my list is Gatlinburg and the Smoky Mountains. I would love to spend some time in Tennessee, and of course, I have to hit up Dollywood. You know I love Dolly Parton. Also in the U.S., I'd really love to go to California and drive up the coast. I've been to San Francisco and L.A. before when I was a kid, but I really want to spend some time exploring the state and I think this would be such a beautiful place for a road trip. Outside of the U.S., I'd love to go to Germany and explore some of the castles and visit some of the cities where my family once lived. I'm also dying to go to Tokyo. I've heard such amazing things about this city and my dad used to go a lot for work so I know I could call him up for a really amazing itinerary. Of course, it's so hard to stick to just five places, but these are definitely a few of the top ones for me. Now, if you have a question you'd like to submit for an Ask Me Anything, please send it my way at Valerie at wellnessandwanderlust.net or on Instagram at wellnessandwanderlustblog. We're talking about all kinds of topics on here, so send whatever you'd like to know. You can also leave your question as a voice message. This is a brand new feature that we're able to offer, and you can check out the show notes for the link. And don't forget to sign up for the Reclaim the Rebel Academy, which we talked about at the top of the show, using the link in the show notes. Listeners who sign up will get a free signed copy of Lizzie's book, so let me know if you decide to join. I would love to hear all about it. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in and for sharing this part of your day with me. If you have a topic you'd like us to explore in a future episode, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram or by email. And one of the best ways that you can lend your support to the show, as I say from week to week, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show better and it lets us know what you're thinking. It takes just a few minutes out of your day and it truly makes a difference. So I would love to hear your thoughts. I hope you all have a wonderful day. I cannot wait to chat with you next week.